So here's what we're doing. So for the last couple of weeks, last maybe month, we've been preparing for a confirmation that's coming up. I met, I've mentioned this a couple different times that we're going to have the opportunity for you to make a public declaration of faith in the fall. I think it's October 17th is the official date. More on that as we get closer. But between here and there, we wanted to just do like a, a basic grounding of what, it, what are some of the fundamental things that we need to know. And some of these things will be like, I've heard that before, that's review. I'm pretty sure some of this is going to be framed in a way that might be new to some of you. Um, but, the, but the focus, really, our, our hope is to build this, you know, to make sure, we, were we missing that foundation? We saw, you may, maybe you saw in the news, although we don't know exactly what's going on, like whatever the heck happened in Florida. Can you imagine? It's like two in the morning, you're in bed, and then your house disintegrates, right? I mean, madness. Last I heard, they were like, I've heard 100 or 159 people. Is, is there, I don't know if there's new news, but crazy, right? Now, we don't know exactly what's going on there, but it wouldn't be shocking if there was something about the foundation of that building that has been, you know, eroded by water or something, you know, whatever it is, right? Well, foundations matter. Foundations matter huge. And so even if your building was built long ago, it's good to shore up the foundation. It's good to see, like, do I understand? Do I know these things? So I really appreciate whether you are like, man, I could teach this class, your humility to be here and to kind of process through, or the stuff that maybe there's like, I don't know this, this is, this is new, and maybe some things that would be helpful to you. So we're excited, to, I'm excited to have a chance to do it. What, we, what we've done, if you've missed it, if you've just joined us, we did a few weeks ago, asked the question, what is the gospel? And I made what is probably a little bit of a strange claim to you, but that the central good news of the gospel is the declaration that... Jesus is king. And if we want to be a little more pointed about it, we could say that Jesus became king. He hasn't always been king, but he became king. And because he became king through his sin atoning, Satan defeating, death on a cross, and resurrection from the dead, innumerable good things flow into our lives. Okay? That's number one. Then number two, we talked about, can we be really, does that give us any sense of assurance or security or safety? Is it possible to know that in the world to come, you will survive the examination? that you will be raised from the dead to live forever in endless and increasing joy. Can we really, can we bank on that? And I think that we can. I think that the scriptures promise us that we can know and that there should be evidences in our lives, not cause-effect relationships. It's not that if I'm good, then I'll live forever, but it's because Jesus has transformed me and promised to raise me, also it will be true that my life will begin to change right here, right now. And we're going to see that. It's going to actually happen. It's going to play out for all the world to see. And these, these things are evidences, not causes, right? They are the consequence of what God has done in our life. But it, gives, it increases our assurance that we will be his forever, right? And then last week, what was last week, you guys? Great, okay. And I don't know, Brian, we don't have, we didn't, okay, so we don't have a microphone, so the tape won't have you, so I'm going to do more repetition than we might normally do here. So what Bob, what, it's okay, but Bob just said is that all Christians are indwelt, but not all Christians are filled with the Spirit. And this is true, that when you became a Christian, one of the things that happened, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Am I? That's the problem. Darn it. Brian, will you just get a nightmare of a reading on that? I didn't, I forgot. If you ever see the, a microphone dangling off my face, you just say something about it. And in fact, hang on. I got to get a piece of tape. Hang on. Okay. Am I better now? Man, that tape's going to be terrible. 
So, uh, Jesus, what was I talking about? Spirit-filled life. Something about, I don't know what I said. So, filled, what? Repeating Bob. So, Bob said that uh, all Christians are indwelt. You couldn't hear Bob. You couldn't hear me for crying out loud. Um, all Christians are indwelt with the Spirit, but not all Christians are perpetually filled with the Spirit. That's right, sailboats, not robots. And what we mean by this is one of the promises that when Jesus comes, this is like old school, this is like back in the day, like five, 600 BC, there was this promise that the Spirit of God would somehow come to live in us, move us to follow his decrees, make it possible for us to be the people he wants us to be, that he'd comfort us, he'd reveal things to us. And so when Jesus left and all the disciples were like, leaving, where are you going? He's like, no, 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 it's good news. Because if I go away, then the Spirit will come. And he will live in you. And that reality just transforms everything in our lives. So the Spirit of God has come to live in us, to work out his life, to enable us, to empower us. And we are sailboats, not rowboats. One second, Lily. And what that means is that life is not about, pull harder, work harder, try more. It's rather about yield more, that we yield the sail of our lives. And we allow his power to fill us the way wind fills a sail. He gives us power and direction to be the people. He wants us to be Lily. Right, but um, he didn't say, I will, I have to leave Trinity and fill you. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit when he was with them. But then he said, wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Yes. It's an important distinction, though. Between filling and indwelling? In you versus being close. Okay, so the way that I understand that is, so you're, you're, it's absolutely true. And it's funny because John, well, so this is going to get a little bit technical. And our, this is all review. So I don't know if we want to go too deep into this at this moment. But, but in John's gospel, Jesus breathes on them. And, and in this moment, they are filled with the Spirit. And then subsequent to that, in the book of Acts, um, he's like, everybody go share your faith. Actually, there's nobody go anywhere. Everybody stay right here. Don't do anything. Just wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, now you will go and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So it's a little, it is a little bit, it's a little bit interesting to see that something, John pictures, pictures something happening that the, that the other gospels don't. Like if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would get the impression that the filling of the Spirit doesn't come until Pentecost. But if you read John's gospel, you're like, oh, well, hang on a second. It comes, seems a little bit earlier, right? And, and, and you're trying to kind of harmonize that. What is your framework to harmonize those two claims? So the, yeah, according to this, if you read the synoptics, you get the impression that the Spirit fills the people at Pentecost. But if you read John, you're going to see a filling that comes a little bit earlier. And they seem, uh, you, you got to figure out how, do these, how are both of these things true? So I would say that once you receive the Holy Spirit, clearly you're saved. But also Jesus says some really interesting things. Like already you are clean because of the word I've spoken. What does the cleansing? It's like the river of the Holy Spirit, right? But the coming of the Yeah, 
Well, it's certainly, so it's, it's, it's a metaphor, right? The idea of being filled, is something, there's something metaphorical about that. And we use metaphorical language all the time to convey real things. And so uh, what, whatever the exact sequencing is, what, what I think what we see and what I think is pretty plain is that the thing that is going to empower our lives is the Spirit of God living in us, right, as we yield to him right? Now, here's what's, here's what's curious though, and we started here, this is kind of segue us into where, we're, where, we're, where I want to go with you today, is that what you see in the scriptures is that the filling of the Spirit is described as this, incre- is, is this, this like absolutely necessary thing, but in other direct parallel passages where it talks about filling of the Spirit, it talks about being filled with the Word, right? We are born again by the Spirit, right? John 3, and yet we are born again by the Word, 1 Peter 1. And so what we find is this this integration of the, what the spirit is doing and what the word is doing are almost uh, imp- impossible to separate out. And um, I think of it's a little bit like this. It's that we could say that if Babe Ruth hit a home run, okay, if Babe Ruth hits the ball, we could say that Babe Ruth hit the ball, but we could also say that the bat hit the ball, right? So Babe Ruth is swinging the bat, but it's the bat that hits the ball. And in a similar way, this ba- you got Babe Ruth, who would be like the Holy Spirit in some regards. And you've got the bat that will be like the scriptures in some regards. But it is the spirit that wields the word. It is Babe that swings the bat. And so when we try to figure out what, is, what made that ball climb over that wall? Well, it was the bat in Babe Ruth's hands, right? Does that, does that make sense? And so when we, when we understand, when we, see the way that the scripture describes the work of the spirit and the work of the word they're always intertwined these things come together it is the spirit who inspired the writing of the scriptures it's his book right he is the one who spoke through the prophets as they were carried along it is the spirit who illuminates the the scriptures in our lives so that we can see it make sense of it understand it it is the spirit who brings conviction very very often through his word now he can he can he can end run it if he wants to he can do whatever he wants but his normal mode of being is that the Spirit wields the sword, which is the Word of God, right? Does this make sense? Now, uh, one thing I'll just say very briefly here, we could unpack this if you want to. The word, word, means lots of different things in the Bible. Sometimes it's used in reference to a prophetic word. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and he said thus and such. Sometimes it might be just a, a normal word, you know, like this sentence has seven words, as a word, Sometimes it references Jesus, the person. Sometimes it references the written scriptures. Sometimes it references a number of different things, right? And not every use impl- implies all of the others. Does this, does this make sense? So if I say word, you, must, you might say, well, which sense do you mean? Oh, sometimes and very, very often it means the gospel message, that the gospel message is the word. Um, not, just, not just, you know, Leviticus, but the specific message of of Christ, this specific gospel message. And so when I'm using the word, word right now in this class, I'm talking about the written scriptures, okay? Chiefly is what I wanna talk to you about this morning. But the written scriptures are about Jesus, who is also the word. And the written scriptures contain and extol the message, which is the word. And the written scriptures is a collection of all of these times that a prophetic word came to somebody. So it's kind of like the biggest, broadest category, but sometimes we use that term more, more specifically. Okay, but today what, I'm, what I want to talk to you about is the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, the, the written scriptures, and, and how crucial it is that we are regular ingesters of Bible. That's where we're going to go today. So far, so good? Groovy, groovy. All right, now, 
This is where we could talk about the Bible forever and ever and ever because literally everything else comes from, this is the source material for so, so much. And so in like a one hour class, like what do we want to say about the Bible? And I thought it might be helpful to kind of step back and to think about what is it and how do we get it in us, okay? And there's a lot more, there's going to be a lot of stuff left on the cutting room floor, but let's talk about what it is. So when I say Bible, I mean the Old and the New Testaments, okay? So uh, let's talk about Let's talk about those first. What is the, let's do the New Testament first because we're probably a little more familiar. What is the New Testament, you guys? If you were talking to somebody, like if, if, I, were to t- if I were to ask you about the Quran, does anybody know anything about the Quran? Because I know nothing about the Quran, right? And if you were to sit down and talk to somebody, say, I, have, I, don't have, I have no idea at all how that thing is laid up or how it's organized. And there's plenty of people that the Quran, the, the, the New Testament is exactly as like, a black box to them as the Quran is to me. So how would you describe the New Testament to somebody that doesn't know a thing about a thing? What is it? Okay, it's good news, okay. But in, in terms of like making, helping me to open it and to make sense of my table of contents, what, what is it? Yeah, what, Suzanne, what is the, what's the New Testament? Okay, it's the narrative of Jesus' life and the early church. Okay, excellent. Can we add to this, Kelly? collection of biographies and letters biographies of okay and letters by or to okay so it's a collection of of biographical accounts of Jesus and letters from early church leaders to to early early church very good Herrick Okay, so the teachings of Christ to his followers, and that's going to show up in both of these categories that Kelly has given us, right? The biographies of Jesus are going to contain the things that he said, and these letters are largely going to be an expounding on things that he said. Okay, yeah, John? Okay, it explains why Jesus matters to us, like it's telling us his story. It's great. How about anything else? We're just trying to get these orienting things. Joshua? Okay, this is interesting. So if, if it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament, that's going to maybe make us want to go back and look at, so what's the Old Testament? So we'll, we'll hang on to that. We'll come back to that one in a second. That's great. What's the, I'm, you're just talking to somebody that doesn't know nothing. They know less about the Bible than I know about, you know, the... The writings of the apostles that testify to Jesus' resurrection. Is this right? Got you right. Thanks, Joyce. Okay, getting an idea? This, this is excellent. The way that I usually frame it out to people, because it's nothing, it's blank, I don't know what it is, is basically the, the, the New Testament is 27 books. And when we say book, they're not really books. So there's, the Bible is one book comprised of two books, comprised of 66 books, right? And we use the word book, it's kind of like the word word. It's kind of a stretchy term. And so you might, when we say book, you might think, it's like the length of a chapter and when we say chapter in the Bible it's more like a page basically okay um, and so the, the, New Te- the Bible is laid up there's two sections there's the Old Testament and the New Testament the New Testament is all the stuff that came from the time that Jesus walked on the earth and, and thereafter and it's organized with four biographies we call them Jesus we call them Jesus we call them gospels 
They're written by, they're named after their authors. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so these are just four snapshot pictures of Jesus. They all writing a consistent narrative about his life from slightly different angles, emphasizing different things, different things that they were there for. Um, and that gives us the, the basic picture of Jesus' life. He lived about 30 years. And so these things cover that span of about 30 years. And then after those four biographies, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you get a collection of letters uh, and these letters were written where early church leaders, oh, I'm sorry, skip that. After the, after the four gospels, you have one history book and it's called the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. Because when I say Acts, you hear A-C-T-S. Somebody else might hear A-X-E, Actus. It's hard to say. So I should say acts, like as in actions, the, it's, it's the, the acts of the apostles. This is the things that they, that they did. And so be mindful of what we call the curse of knowledge. When you know something, that somebody else doesn't know, it's hard to know what they don't know. So the book of Acts has nothing to do with cutting down trees, okay? So, and it's this history. It's about the first 30 years of the church. So after we get the 30 years of Jesus' life, we get this first 30 years of the church as Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire. Very, very quickly, people were astonished and amazed that Jesus had risen from the dead. It was huge news. And so they began to travel around the region telling people about him and passing on his teachings. And we can see what happened and the, 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 uh, the resistance that was faced and the lives that were changed or recorded over those 30 years. And then the next section of the New Testament is a whole bunch of letters. And these letters were written by early church leaders they're written to the early churches, sometimes to individuals, sometimes to groups of, groups of believers. And what's amazing is throughout their lives, throughout these new churches, they had all sorts of questions, things they didn't understand. And they had all sorts of problems they didn't know how to face. There's all kinds of things that they were doing bad and doing wrong. And what's kind of amazing about that is that 2,000 years later, we have the same questions right? We have the same behavioral problems. We are facing the same kind of burdens that they were facing. And so when we read the record of how they were addressed with their questions and their problems and all these things that were going on, it's, it's stunning how relevant it still is for us even today. So you got these four biographies of Jesus, the gospels, and you got the book of Acts, and then you got this collection of letters that were written by the early church leaders to help them figure stuff out. Highly, highly um, relevant and helpful for us today. And then it ends with a really weird book called Revelation. And that, and, I, and honestly, at this moment, I don't tend to like go into much detail about that. We'll get there when we get there. Revelation's a freak show. It's an apocalyptic piece of literature that nobody knows how to make sense of. It's complicated, it's difficult. We'll get there in due course. But what is, as we're framing the thing out, I'll just, I'll just say it's four gospels, a history book, a bunch of letters, and it ends with this weird thing we'll talk about later. And there's your New Testament. Okay, and now it's just in that brief little thing in like two minutes, you can take something that could be completely opaque and just inaccessible. And now it's like, I get that. I, I understand, I, I get biographies and I understand like a historical narrative and I've read letters and the weird thing, we'll deal with that later. And now I've got a framework. Make sense? Okay, that's the New Testament. Let's do the same with the old. This is gonna be a little bit harder, okay? Um, oh, by the way, how much time is concerned in the New Testament? What's, that, what's the kind of time span of the narrative? So, yeah, what do you say? 50 to 100 years? Is that what I'm hearing? 60 to 100? It's, it, the, you guys are all in there. It's ish, right? It's, it's less than 100. It's more than 60. It's in that range. 30 years of Jesus' life. 
30 years of the book of Acts. Most of the letters fit into that. A little stuff spills out the edge. So maybe 70 years are concerned, unless you want to say Revelation takes till the end of time, but that's cheating. So generally speaking, it's about a 60-year span that it's concerned with, and it's, the whole thing is done by like 90 AD. It's written, it's done, it's over, it's in the can by 90 AD, okay? The Old Testament, in contrast, is gargantuan compared to that, okay? So if we're just gonna, if we're gonna pick 70 years for the New Testament, what's the, what's the time frame of, 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 uh, of the Old Testament, you guys? Yeah, you say 4,000 years? That's probably about right. And it depends on, you know, how you get into like the age of the earth and what you do with that. But somewhere in the span of three to 4,000 years, which either way is a lot longer than 70 years. It's a far more complex document. It's much, much longer. What's it, about three-fourths of the Bible is Old Testament? I mean, it's 10 times the, the length of, the, the length, uh, not more, 10 times? Like, what is it? 80 times as long as the New Testament. It's, inc- it's much more complex. Say it again. Uh, yeah, 39. 39, so 30, it's 39 Old Testament books and 27 in the New. So it's just a lot more complex. But how, this, let's try to do what we just did. Four Gospels, a history, a bunch of letters, and a weird thing. What's the Old Testament version of that? How would you organize the Old Testament for somebody that has no idea what this thing is about? Okay, the beginning of the earth. What's that over here? Okay, so this is, this, okay, let's, let's stop on that one for a second. So Bob just said the law, the prophets, and the writings. Now, the good news about Bob's answer is that that's the way the Bible describes itself, right? And this is an ancient Jewish framing, the law, the writings, and the prophets. But there's a bad news about that. Do you know what it is? Well, yeah, so, and, and what it means if you dig into it is it's not a very helpful paradigm. It's actually really, it's, it, 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 it doesn't clarify if you actually dig into it. If you've ever heard of the, um, uh, what is it? What do they say? The Tanakh, T-N-K, T-N-K. Um, the T stands for Torah. The N is like, I don't speak Hebrew. It's like the Navim. And then the K is the, what is the K? Ke- Kevim or something. Like I, I said, I don't speak Hebrew. But it means, the, it's the, there's the law, the Torah. Do you guys know what the Torah is? Very good, the first five books of Moses. Sometimes we call it the Pentateuch. Penta means five. Sometimes we call it the Torah. Sometimes we call it the law. But it's Genesis. Do you guys know this? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uniformly, we're going to say that is like the foundational chunk. These are the books of Moses, the first five books. That's a major section, right? And it's where God reveals kind of the foundation of all things. It's, it's, absol- it's a crucial part of your Bible. And of it, Genesis you're lost without Genesis. Genesis, everything comes back to Genesis, which simply means the beginning. So we've got this foundational chunk. We've got the Torah, first five books of Moses. But you guys, what comes next? And don't worry about any pre-existing categories. What just actually comes next? Very good. And we missed one more J in there. Judges. Joshua, Judges. Samuel, Samuel, Chronicles, Chronicles. Or Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles. Which taken as a whole, what is that? Yeah, it's the history of Israel. So, so after you get this found, so the Old Testament is laid out. So you've got the first five books of Moses, foundational for everything. And then you're going to run for a long old time with the history of Israel. In particular, Israel becoming a kingdom, right? So you're going to run through and you're going to see this, this happened and this happened. And it's all historical narrative. And in terms of genre, in terms of style of writing, that's a really helpful thing. This is why when you think 
if you think that the Old Testament is full of stories, it's because it's full of history books. We don't get stories out of the Psalms, right? We don't get stories out of Proverbs. We get our stories out of this, out of this flow of narrative history. And so for a long, long time, the Old Testament just runs and runs and runs, and it says this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. This is where you're gonna get, well, I don't know, you tell me, let's start. Top first five Bible stories that come out of your head, but don't say Jonah because he's going to screw up the illustration. First five books. Okay, so Cain and Abel is going to come out of this story here. This is narrative history throughout Genesis. Stories. Abraham and Sarah. Also Torah stories. This whole, all these stories of him having kids and Father Abraham had many sons. Stories. What else? Okay, so Samson is coming out of Judges. Right? All this weird thing. Judges is a freak show, but we know about Samson and he pushes over the pillars. That's part of the narrative history. What else? Okay, so Joseph, there's a couple of Josephs, and you mean Old Testament, you mean Joseph who has the coat and his brothers throw him in a hole and kill a pig and all that. That's very good, right? So narrative history, all the storyline, other big stories? David and Goliath. Now we're kind of coming forward here. David and Goliath, he's going to be in 2 Samuel. And these stories that we know about all these, the kings, he's the first like really good king, second king at all, first good one, right? Stories? Okay, Moses is going to, you guys keep going back to Genesis. You guys love Genesis, so that's great. So all the stories of Moses, um, or, or Exodus rather, not, not Genesis, coming out of Exodus and the whole, you know, the baby in the, baby in the reeds and the basket and all these sorts of things, okay? So you got all these stories that you're going to get, and then what's the next section? The stories stop, and what comes after all the history books? Okay, right, a whole bunch of poetry, right, which in Bob's framework is called the writings, okay? So there's basically five poetic books in the Old Testament. What are they? Do you know them? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job. And so Job's a weirdo, okay? But it is a poem. It's this epic poem. So you've got these five books. You've got the Psalms and Proverbs that are pretty well known and loved. Ecclesiastes that confuses everybody to death. Song of Solomon, it's pretty racy. Um, they didn't used to let young Jewish boys read it. And then, and then Job. And Job is a kind of a strange thing. It's written as a poem. And do you know where it fits in the timeline? We did this a, like a year ago. What's that? Super old. Like Job, Job is like Genesis, okay? It fits really, really old. But you have these five books and they're all poetic. And poetry is different. You read poetry differently than you read user manuals, Right? And, and so the, it's, it's more figurative, it's more metaphorical, it's more emotive, and people love this stuff, right? The stories are well-loved, the law, not as much, the poems, a great deal. These five books where we get so much richness and wisdom. And uh, some people, like me, I think have made the mistake of not understanding how much theology there is in the poetry. Like I used to, like for a long time, like Psalms, I was, had little interest in the Psalms. Would much rather read Romans and that's because I was foolish. And the Psalms are filled with deep insights and deep theology. They're just a little bit harder to, harder to find. It's hard, it's, it takes more work to do. And I, there, earlier in my faith, I wasn't equipped to do it. And I think I have a better ability than I did 20 years ago to like figure out what the heck is going on in those things, okay? So we've got it. We've got our five books of Moses. This kind of lays it out. Then we've got all the history of Israel, runs on forever and ever. And then you got this collection of writings that are poems, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon and Job. And then the last thing that is probably the most baffling to people, and what is that? 
the prophets, okay? And this thing gets weird, okay? You have five longer books. Because they're longer but not more important, we call them the major prophets, and then 12 shorter books. And because they're shorter, not less important, we call them the minor prophets. You get the 12, you get the five and the 12. Now, the prophets are routinely read by people that have no idea what's going on. And there's one event, kind of two events, but they braid together. There's one thing apart from which the prophets will make no sense. What is the, the event that, that, that anchors nearly everything the prophets say? The captivity, the exile, anybody want to add to that? The, yeah, and the return, but, but, but th- this is exactly right. There, what happened is during this period of time that the kings were, that the kingdom was growing and there were new kings and there was a bad king and then after him there was a bad king and after him there was a bad king and then just for variety's sake we had a bad queen and then a bad king and a bad king and a bad king. During this period of time there was a state that the prophets show up and they're like, this is gonna end badly. I mean, if you don't stop, if you don't clean up your act, this is gonna like spin out of control for you. And they didn't stop and it spun out of control and that this, the ultimate spinning was two massive judgments. They were the Holocaust of the first millennium BC. It was massive. In 722, Assyria, which was a cruel nation, wiped out half of Israel. They, they wiped out the nation. So Israel had split into two, Israel and, Jordan, Israel and Judah, and they completely destroyed, just killed everybody, and everything was ruinous. At which point, the other half, Judah, they didn't look over the fence and think, oh no, he meant it. We better clean up our act. Instead, they looked over the fence and said, ha ha. And then 100 years later, 140 years later, it happened to them under Babylon. Okay, The Assyrians and the Babylonians beating up on this nation or this double nation that had been split, that is the event that the prophets are endlessly talking about. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And in a few cases, a couple of prophets said, see, we told you and you weren't paying attention. What are you gonna do now? But this thing, this judgment defines this whole massive time throughout the Old Testament. And then it ends. And do you know how long, how much time from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the new? 400 years. We call them the silent years. For 400 years, God didn't speak to his people. There was no writings. There was no prophetic. There were things that were happened, right? Um, Hanukkah was born in those 400 years as the people of God c- continued to walk with him some and God intervened, but there was no writings, okay? Kelly Sue. Yes. Yeah, so Kelly, Kelly said, it's important to notice that when the prophets were writing, they were not only saying, man, you better watch it because judgment is coming, although they said that, but they also said, but after the judgment, God will remember mercy and there will be a restoration, right? And this is, she's absolutely right. So there's this warning of judgment and a, and a promise that after the judgment, you will think that he's done with you, but he's not. There'll be, the, there'll be a restoration. Okay, John. Promise of Messiah. Okay, so and we're going to hold that in abeyance for a moment because it's, it's absolutely true, but hang on for as we get this big, big orientation. So, uh, Catherine. Isn't that when, I mean, I have trouble because, okay, like Israel would disobey and then, and then they would be punished and then they would repent and then they would live and then they would disobey. Like this cycle. 
Okay, so Catherine's pointing out that there's this pattern in throughout this whole thing where the Israelites will sin and then they'll repent and things are kind of a mess, but she's not sure where the prophets fit. Generally speaking, the prophets are gonna fit toward the end of the kingdom era, okay? So if you wanna have just like a, like a benchmark here, 1000 BC is David, okay? So huge guy, nice big round number. David's 1000 BC, uh, the Babylonian captivity that really ends the game is 586 BC, okay? So what is that? That's like, you know, about 400 years, or I'm too stupid here, 586, so yeah, about 400 years. So the kingdom's gonna persist for about 400 years, and the prophets are gonna be, I don't know, the last quarter of that, last third of that. I, don't, I might be off by a few decades there, but that last section is really where the prophets fit in as they're, as they're seeing, man, this thing is gonna end badly, okay? Does that help? So David's 1,000, Babylon is 586. So all of that history of the kings is all gonna fit in that window and the prophets are gonna be the latter chunk of that. Okay, so here's how it goes. You got this five books, Moses' book, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you get this run of history books and it's all Israel's kingdom coming to be a kingdom, meaning that there's a place with a king living through bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king. And when it finally comes to an end, because the judgment has, has, has dropped, then the history books end, and the prophets that have been describing this last period of time, oh, I forgot, we'll get to them in a second. The prophets are coming. But after them, you're gonna have the writings, all these poetic books, and the poetic books sprinkle back in in different places. A lot of them are from David. A lot of his psalms are David's, but they, they cover a range. They're not organized chronologically. And then you got these, this collection of prophets that were writing back during in here, okay? So it's not a straight chronology, right? These writings and the prophets, they sprinkle back in during this, during this history. Job goes way, way back to the beginning, okay? Now, Kelly just finished reading through like a chronological look of the Old Testament, right? Is that fair to say? And so she, she had the opportunity because it was kind of organized for her to see, okay, Isaiah fit back in here and, you know, Zephaniah fits in here and do all that. And that's helpful, but first case if you just wanted to if you wanted to get the, the the scope of the of the of the of the history you could read the entire old testament in 11 books only and get the and get the the timeline we did this about a year ago do you guys remember what what books would you need to read if you just wanted to get the straight chronology and nothing else do you remember how it goes you do need genesis and exodus and numbers joshua Judges. Uh, nope. First, second Samuel's, first, second Kings. Ezra, Nehemiah, and then they're very good. Okay, so here now, but you couldn't follow that. So here's here, you just remember it like this: Jen and Ben, G E N on one side and B E N on the other, with a J J S S K K in the middle. Okay, that's going to give you the whole timeline. So G E N and a B E N with the J-J-S-S-K-K in the middle. So the G-E-N is Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. The B-E-N is gonna be Babylon. There's no book for that, it's just a placeholder. Ezra, Nehemiah. And in the middle, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings. If you're like, this is all too much and I just wanna get like the, give me the basic framework. You get the whole Old Testament like that. Jen and Ben, J-J-S-S-K-K, and that'll get you the pattern. And that would be such a good idea for you to do. Jen, Ben, J-J-S-S-K-K in the middle. We'll get you, the, the, we'll get you the, the narrative arc of the whole thing. 
and I can't tell you how helpful and useful it would be if you had like the, the, the pipe on which you can hang everything else. Okay? Stuart. The story. Yeah. But you will definitely get the timeline and it'll help you make sense of some of the judge case problems, all that stuff flipping back and forth that sometimes you get confused because you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and yes. forth. Yes. Here's a little book that we got. It was at popular initially, but we took it out on a lot of occasions because it's really good. It's called The Story. Okay, so Stuart, just to recap, Stuart, so there's a book called The Story that basically takes this, takes this Old Testament and New. Old Testament and New Testament and puts it into a single storyline. And what's so helpful about doing something like that, whether you're reading this book or you're just reading these books that I'm suggesting, to, the portions of the Bible that I'm suggesting to you, is that it gives you the opportunity to have a coherent framework for all of Scripture. Like pick your favorite TV show or pick your favorite book, your favorite story, and imagine that all you ever do, that's all you've ever done is read random paragraphs from that book or random chapters out of order. Or you've watched, all you've ever done is you've watched your favorite movie in YouTube clips that you've seen with no coherent order to them. Don't you think you would get less out of the story if all you ever saw was in disjointed, out of order? And we do this all the time. Like, hey, today's reading is from, you know, Jeremiah 17. Well, great. What the heck does that have to do with anything, right? It's really, really unhelpful. And so I think a lot of people have been hearing the Bible all their lives, but never in a way that actually made it click for them and so I really want I would love to suggest to you that it would be the benefit to you would be enormous if you've never done this to like obtain the master narrative and to get it okay so in my few remaining minutes here's what I want to suggest to you and this is what it is you got the old testament or you got your new and your old you got them all and you're like how do I get that in me how do I read the bible how do I actually do this well I think you, you read the bible the same way you eat an elephant which is one bite at a time, baby, all right? So here's, here's my proposal to you, is that what if you just said, if, I have, if you've never done this or if you used to do this, but it's kind of like drifted away, that every day, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, that's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, okay? Every day, you're gonna read your Bible for 15 minutes. How would you do that? Where would you begin? You could start in Genesis and then read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Je you could, but my prediction is that it won't work generally speaking. So here's what I would suggest you do instead of that, is begin with the New Testament. Make a commitment that between now, what is this? You could get this done by Christmas, no sweat. You could get this done by September. Um, read the New Testament, but read it like this. Here's a very specific sequence that I would suggest that you do, okay? Number one, read Luke and then read Acts. Here's why. The author who wrote Luke is Luke. Same guy wrote Acts. So Acts is really Luke part two. So you could read one of the gospels, one of these biographies of Jesus, and then you jump into Acts. You read Luke and then you read Acts. And then you read Romans. And if you read Luke and Acts and Romans, then you've got one of the biographies of Jesus under your belt, the total framework, the narrative arc of the early church, and then the greatest theological thing slash the greatest thing ever written, right? Luke, Acts, Romans. And that is a massive framework for you to understand. But since you've just read two heady books here, now you go back and you pick another gospel. I don't really care which one you read. 
do whatever you like. Everybody loves John, so pick John if you want. Doesn't really matter. But read John, and then go read, I don't know, three or four letters to get a little bit of variety. And then when you're tired of reading letters, go back and pick another gospel, and then read some more letters. And then go back, we're on the fourth one now, pick your last gospel, and then read some more letters. But just save Hebrews and Revelation for the end, because they're just complicated. Save the heavy stuff for down the road. Okay, so you're gonna go Luke, then Acts, then Romans, then any gospel, then a bunch of letters. Another gospel, a bunch of letters. Another gospel, a bunch of letters. Save Hebrews and Revelation for the end. And as you're doing it, simply do this. Put a check mark in your table of contents. When I began reading my Bible, I didn't know anything. I was in college, I didn't know nothing. I'd heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because they were carved into the pulpits of my church. I didn't know what they were, but I'd heard of them. So that was safe, right? And I would just make a check mark in my Bible. If you want to get like, you want to feel really productive, read 2 John and 3 John because that'll take about three minutes and you can go check, check, right? <laughs> right, we need, we, need, we need a sense of success and a sense of progress. So read the little shorties. Well, I don't care, but, but go, act, Luke, go Luke, then Acts, then Romans, and then another gospel. Some letters, another gospel, some letters, another gospel, save Hebrews and Revelation to the end. If you will do that, just put check marks in your Bible. It's astonishing what's gonna happen in your life as you're allowing God's word to kind of dripping through your mind, okay? That's New Testament. Lily. Yeah, and, and, and you, some of you, so Lily, in case you couldn't hear, all that Lily said is sometimes when people sit down to read the scriptures, they just get drowsy. And this is a function of not the Bible. This is reading, right? You guys, you ever try to read a book? You guys read yourself to sleep? Is this a normal thing? And so, so sometimes you just, what can, what can you do to get through that? Well, there's, you know, maybe you're gonna seek the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I wanna, I wanna attend to your word. I wanna pay attention. I wanna catch this. And I think that's, that's fantastic. You can also read standing up. One of my favorite things to do is to read the Bible by listening to an audio Bible. I do this all the time. And I just have, I put it on my ear pod things and I just, well, I'm sweeping the house or doing some mindless thing. I like to have scripture just kind of running through it. I don't, I never fall asleep when I'm walking around. And so that can be a helpful thing to you, whatever it takes. But know this, as you read it, as you read, if you read Luke and then Acts and then Romans, I don't know, man, like 98% of it you're gonna miss. Do you know, it's not, you're not gonna be able to recite it back to me. So what? Right? This is, how you, this is how everything is. But read it again, and something else is going to stick. And read it again, and something else is going to stick. My son, this is so strange to me. My son, uh, uh, have you ever heard of Twitch? Yes. Probably not, like two. Okay, Zach, the youngest guy in the room knows what Twitch is. So basically, people play video games, and then they f record themselves, and other people watch them play video games. 
which so strange. But nevertheless, to make it even stranger, my son and his friends, I swear to this is true, they do crossword puzzles on Twitch. They do the New York Times crossword puzzle on Twitch for an audience. Like people watch them solve the New York Times crossword puzzle. Isn't that super weird? Okay. But but they're joking and they're laughing and then people show up and they watch them and they comment and they watch them solve crossword puzzles. So the way that you do a crossword puzzle, you know this, right? First you go through all the acrosses and you get like three of them, yeah. right? And then you do the downs and you get three more, but then you do the acrosses and you might get two more and then the downs and now it starts to open up to you. And Okay, but nobody, nobody does it in order and gets it all. That's just not the way it works. The Bible's the same way. You're gonna read it and you're going to understand something, and then you're going to forget something, and this is going to make sense, and that's cool. You just do all the acrosses, and then you do the downs, and then you do the acrosses, and then you do the downs, and it starts to come together over the next, like, 50 years. I read the, I read the Bible very differently today than I did 30 years ago because I've been reading it for 30 years, and it's given up more and more of its secrets, and I'm more convinced than I've ever been that two things are true. Number one, it is filled with treasure, and number two, I can find it, right? You need to read the Bible believing that number one, it's full of treasure, and number two, that you can find it, and your capacity to find, it's only gonna increase over time. Because, well, not, that's not true. It's not gonna get any better over time if you're not doing it, right? Like you don't just suddenly like 20 years later, like I can do this now. You can only do it 20 years later because you've been doing it for 20 years, right? And that's what we want to see happen. John, you had your hand up a second ago. Wait, I can't hear you. Go louder. I know, seriously, can you imagine? That's right. So we read, we read, but basically it's where do you watch crossword puzzles? And number two, daily reading of the Bible is, is important. And this is absolutely the case. Okay, I can't talk to you because I'm, I'm so close to time. So sorry. So, 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 so here's the thing. Let's say you do this for the New Testament and you're going to read Luke, then Acts, then Romans, and then a gospel and some letters, and a gospel and some letters, and a gospel and some letters, and save Hebrews and Revelation to the end. Do that. And or next, give yourself that Old Testament paradigm, which is Jen and Ben with the J-J-S-S-K-K in the middle. And if you will read those 11, and when you get to the Ben part, there is no book for B. There is no book for Babylonian captivity, but it's the event that drives the whole thing. So it's really, it's 11 books. You can read Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings, there is no B, Ezra, Nehemiah. If you will do that, then it's, I'm telling you, it's just gonna make everything else make more sense. And you could say, if you determine, I'm gonna read the New Testament before school starts, and then I'm going to try to get, the, get that, that Jen, KK Ben, before Christmas. It's like a nuclear bomb. It's massive. It's huge. And I would love you guys to do that because, as we said, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. 15 minutes a day. We're just clicking it away in an orderly manner. And the gifts will be rich because it really is full of treasure. And you really can find it if you'll just put in the time. All right, dig it? All right, we've got to stop because church is coming.